in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to launch a podcast and I'm going to be famous like the next day, you know? And so that's what happened. And I was like, oh, well, I can launch a course because I'm going to be famous. So why would I not? That does, that's not how it works, guys. But you know, whatever. If you've been through school, chances are you've been taught to fear one thing. That thing is called failure. What they didn't teach you is that the more you fail, the faster you learn and succeed. Join me on my journey to uncover the reason why most graduates leave school feeling lost and confused. We'll unlock the secret to finding clarity, direction, and purpose in life. My name is King Lau, and welcome to Plan to Fail. What's going on, everybody? It's King here, and I want to welcome you all back to the Plan to Fail podcast. Today, I have our very first guest on the show with me, Jessica Stansbury. Jessica left her corporate job with no plan back in 2010. She initially started a web and graphic design company that quickly became an online empire, which includes a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers and hosts an iTunes top 100 podcast, Hey Jessica Radio. As a result of her outstanding work, Jessica has taught thousands of entrepreneurs how to start, build, and grow the business of their dreams. Today, Jessica continues to help rockstar entrepreneurs and content creators use video and content creation to grow their brand and show up as an expert in their industry. The best part is she is constantly looking to provide value through her weekly podcast, YouTube channel, and blog. And on top of all of that, she shows up every single day on Instagram to make sure the tips never stop coming. First and foremost, Jessica, I want to welcome you onto the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So after learning about your journey as a digital entrepreneur, I really admire how you never really gave up the first few years, despite not seeing a lot of success initially. What I really want our listeners to understand is that failure is actually essential for us to learn, which the lessons we learn will eventually lead us to succeeding in business. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you agree that the key to success is to keep trying and to never give up. Yes. So, so, I, so I actually want to start off um, by asking if you can give our listeners a little more background on your story leading up to what you do now. Yes, it involved a lot of failing. <laughs> so essentially, I started my business when my oldest son was born. Um, mm. I he is ten years old now, and I wanted to stay at home with him, but we couldn't afford for me to do that. Like that was not right. a luxury we had. And I actually did go back to work after him, but it was like, this is stupid. Like, I don't want to spend money for somebody to have to watch him for me to go to a job. I hate, cause I absolutely hated my job. And like, how can I figure this out? And essentially I basically quit my job with no plan, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> so you can imagine how much I failed. Right. right. Um, basically I just kind of fell back on my skills as a graphic designer and um, advertising and things like that. Cause that was what my background in college was in. Um, but I still, I mean, I mean, I just made no money. Like it was just like not there. And right. for me, you know, the big driving force for me was like, I don't want to have to get a job. Like, I don't want to mm. have to get a job. Like that was, that was the driving force. So if, if for a few years, it was, if I can just make enough money to buy our groceries, or if I can just make enough money to pay my car payment, then right. it's going to help in enough of a way to where I don't have to go get a job because I can reason with myself and with my husband that, you know, 
if I can at least pay for that, then, you know, if we take out daycare or wherever else this kid would have to go while I was at work, I'm pretty well making the same amount of money. Right. right. And, but then it became, um, probably, well, in, definitely in 2015, um, I remember, I'll never like, we had always had the conversation of what would happen or what I was going to do when I went back to work. And I'm doing that with air quotes. Right. Right. But it was, that always terrified me. And, but I had a few years because basically I had that kid and then I had another one. And so I'm like, oh, well, you know, my husband really enjoys me being home with the kids. Like he's, he's not going to like push that, you know, until they're in school. And so in 2015, my oldest was getting ready to go to school and Mm -hmm. um, my youngest was almost three. Uh, no, he's two and a half. Yeah. Right. Almost three. And I remember the conversation very well. My husband was like, yeah. So, you know, when you go back to work, maybe we can do X, Y, or Z. And it's like a, a bulb just went off in my head. And I was like, no, that's not happening. And I, that was when I like realized that I had to do something more because the five years had passed so quickly between me quitting and my son going to school that I knew the next two and a half would pass that quickly for my youngest. And I was like, I've got to do something. And so I I basically failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. And then eventually was like, well, I'm going to try and launch a course that completely failed. My first course that I launched, I sold zero of, and for some reason I thought I would sell more. I don't know. Now looking back, I'm like, why did I think that I didn't have an audience? I don't know why I thought I was going to sell all these courses, but (laughs) like in my head, I thought I was going to do well, you know, I sold nothing. And then, um, just six months later, I relaunched another core, not relaunched. I launched a different course and, um, I sold quite a few spots in that course. I mean, it was, you know, less than 10, but it was still enough for me to be like, Oh, okay. And so I just continued to like put the work in, but there were a lot of times when I didn't do anything like I was supposed to do it. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's so funny because like a lot of the times, like when I kind of made that jump too, it's like, you think that your first business or your first thing you launch, you're going to succeed. And like, I had to learn the hard way where I was like, I had this whole vision where I'm like, I'm going to make some money and I'm going to continue to build out as you go. But a lot of the times you just got to really pick yourself up. And I think your story really kind of will help people resonate because a lot of people struggle in the first few years. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of our listeners like are really on the might be on the fence on wanting to make that jump like how you did back in 2010. Can you actually go into a little bit more detail? What were you, what was your role in your previous corporate job? And knowing that when you first switched to business and just having your first child, then uh, did you ever feel like the stability of having a corporate job was safer than just jumping into the abyss and starting up like a business without a plan? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely safer. (laughs) Like, absolutely. But I'm, um, so I'm not like a risk seeker. Like I don't want, right. I'm not a thrill seeker. I, I hate roller coasters. I don't like, that is not me, but when it comes to risks with life, I have always been that kind of person where I understand that we only live one you know, and we're not, we're, I mean, you know, whatever we believe about the afterlife, you know, we're still only really living one life that we know of, you know? Right. And so I have always been the type of person who's like, I I can't live my entire life miserable. And I think a lot of that came from my mom um, because my mom was in several jobs that I remember growing up where she just hated her job, you know? And it was just like, that was normal. 
And I'm like, why is this normal? Um, and something in my head told me that that was not normal. And that, I mean, it was normal, but it, it wasn't okay that it was normal. And right. so, yeah. So basically in that corporate job, I, okay. I, I just have to tell a story because it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, essentially I had this job and in college I had worked part-time at this company as a utility company here. And mm -hmm. I live in a very small town and basically there's like five companies you can work for that actually pay anything like pretty much everybody else <laughs> wow. pays minimum wage and that's it. And, right. um, so it's, it's very hard to like get one of the good jobs, quote unquote. And so oh. this company was one of those places mm -hmm. and I worked there part-time as in college and I loved my job in college. I was in the marketing department. That's what I love. I still love, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so like, I was like, yes, you know, I can do this. Well, the company was always notorious for like hiring within. And so basically my thought was, I want to get, I'll get an entry level job doing whatever. I don't even care at this point. And then I'll move <laughs> my way up right to right. the marketing director or so, you know, eventually. And I, I totally would have done that. But what happened was I did get a full-time job and with that company and I was in customer service and right. in customer service, I was, I just hated it. I just absolutely hated it as not what I am built for. That is not what I need to be doing with the rest of my life, you know? Right. And it's not at all what I like, I don't know. You know, it wasn't like the dream I had of my no, life. No, I get where like, you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm in customer service. And I start to, I start to realize how bad I hate it. Right. And so I start to apply for jobs within the company as they come open, trying to like move around to the point where like, I'll at least like something long enough to stay there till I can get a marketing job. That was like my right. dream. And I wasn't getting any of these jobs. Now, mind you, I was qualified or overqualified for most of them. Um, but also mind you that everybody at my company that was any, but any bit of my boss hated me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's really, it's a long story that I could totally yep. go into, but basically <laughs> it, you get a bunch of women in an office together and somebody's going to hate somebody all the time. And I just, I, right. it, it just was what it was, you know? Um, I didn't, I didn't just like sit back and mind my own business. I tended to ask a lot of questions, not, not right. mean ones, just like, why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way to do it? And that did not go over well. Uh, <laughs> lesson learned, right? Natural but, born entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, well, but I was never mean. I'm not a mean person. So I was never like, right. oh, well, this is stupid or, but it caused people not to like me is essentially what happened. Right. And so when I would go apply for these promotions, I wasn't getting them. And it kind of came to a head after I had my son that I realized that I was never really going to get where I ever wanted to be in that company. Right. And right. if I was going to do anything that I wanted to do, it was going to have to be on my own. And mind you, again, I live in a very small town. In 2010, people were not building empires on the internet. You know, I mean, they mm -hmm. were absolutely building like blogs, but like, that was really it. Like nobody, you yeah. know, it just wasn't the world it is now. And, yeah. and so I didn't have a precursor for what that looked like. I didn't have like somebody who'd been before me that I knew that I could just do it. It was just kind of one of those things where I was like, I, there's gotta be a better way. And right. if that means that I make enough money to like pay for groceries for five or six years, and then I have to go get a different job, then that's what it means. But it, there's gotta be a better way than me being miserable at this corporate job. And so right. while I don't recommend quitting without a plan, um, and like now being more established 
in my life, right? Like with like more financial commitments and things such as that, I probably wouldn't make the same decision at 34 that I did at 24. But (laughs) at the same time, it was the best thing I ever did. It was was literally the best thing I ever did for myself and my family. And yeah, the first four years were hard, but now we're reaping the benefits, you know? Yeah. It's really just taking that first step. And I, I I really understand where you're coming from, where I'm like, I kind of took that leap of faith without a plan. It's not something I'd recommend because I would never want the responsibility of somebody else's like life on the line. But at the same time, it's just, I think one of the common themes is like, if you feel like it's right for you to take that leap of faith, like you really just have to take that leap of faith. And you know, it's, it's going to be a struggle the first few years, but like, like what, like even what you said, it's, the, the rewards can are, are so big and that the payoffs, if you're willing to have faith and take that first step is, could be potentially really big. Mm-hmm. Um, but like any leap of faith, right. Is, is still terrifying. Like, especially, like you said, leaving without a plan. Um, it takes a lot of guts to do so. And I'm kind of on the, the beginning of that journey you went through where I'll be the first to admit it's terrifying. Like just yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out every step of the way. So can you actually describe it? Like how that day when you finally made that post, how did it unfold for you? Like, like, were you emotional about it? Like how, like how scared were you? Yeah. So mine came because of a, so essentially, again, those people at that job hated me and <laughs> I, I, you have, that's context. You have to know that. Yeah. And so um, basically what happened is I had applied for a, a promotion or a job change. I don't even remember now if it was a promotion. It was definitely a job change, you know, within the company while I was on maternity leave and I didn't get it. And basically they were like, Hey, when you come back for your first day back from maternity leave, we'd love to chat with you about it. And I was like, Oh, okay, sure. Cause I'm, I'm all, I was always like wanting to learn what I could have done better in the interview or whatever. And that's how they positioned that they were going to have this meeting with me. Right. So the first day I go back and I mean, any mama going back to work after their first baby, I mean, I had cried like all morning. I was like a hot mess, <laughs> you know, and I had left my kid with my sister-in-law. It wasn't like he was with a stranger, but I still just was having such a hard time with it. And I walk in and they're like, and they see me crying and they're like, Hey, we'd love to talk to you. And I'm just assuming it's about that job and why I didn't get it. And I go in, they shut the door and I have never felt like somebody literally attacked me so much in my life. Um, basically while I was on maternity leave, people that did not like me in the company. Um, and, and now I know, I feel like they were very threatened by me. Um, to be honest. And, and that's okay. You know, I understand my strengths now and I understand that they might've come off a different way when I was in corporate. Um, but they had basically blamed things on me that I didn't do while I was on maternity leave, like random things like that. I messed up an order that should have went through when I wasn't even there or like, random things. Um, I got in trouble for a lot of things I did do too. Um, (laughs) I mean, well, not a lot of things, one thing in particular. So when I was going out on maternity leave, I ended up with preeclampsia, which is essentially you get really high blood pressure before your baby is born. And that's what happened for me. So I got really high blood pressure. I got put in the hospital. It was a very sudden kind of thing. And my boss who didn't like me called, she was the one that started it all. She called me while I'm in the hospital and started yelling at me because I didn't call her and tell her that I was in the hospital before I called my husband. Like literally that was what she said. You should have called me first because somehow it had gotten around because my husband had been calling people, 
because small yeah. town, but like, she was like, you should have called me first. Like he, you, I should have been your first call, not your husband. And she called and yelled at me while I was like laying there with high blood pressure. And I was like, no. So I yelled at her, like yelled at her. I was like, you can just go straight to, you know, where like, uh, uh-uh, yeah. I am not like, you're not going to call me while I have high blood pressure while I'm trying to like keep my blood pressure down yeah. to protect myself and my baby right. and yell at me. And so essentially I got yelled at for that, for yelling at my boss. They didn't care that she yelled at me first. Um, you know, like, but basically I was pulled into this room and just verbally accosted. Like I was everything. They told me I would never move up in the company. I would never, whatever the CEO hated me. And I loved him. Like I I, I didn't know I'd ever done anything to the man. And I hadn't, by the way, he called me in my last day there and was like, you've been such a great employee. Okay. So was this really your boss that had the issue with you? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, they just jumped all over me is basically what happened. And to do it over, to do it yeah. over and, and, and it would fall into my personality. I would have flipped the bird and walked out right then. Like, but I think it took me so off guard because I just didn't expect right. it. I legitimately thought I was walking into this meeting for them to t- give me constructive criticism on what I could have done better to get the job I had applied for. Like that is all, like, I, I had no clue this is what I was walking into. And I and mean, this it was, was after being yelled at by your boss when you were in the hospital. Uh-huh. This was the day oh, I wow. came back from maternity leave. Oh, wow. So yeah, so it was three months later. Um, and so essentially, I mean, they just, they just jumped all over me. And like I say, I wish, oh, I wish with every bone in my body, I would have just been like, you know what? Screw you people. (laughs) I'm I'm going home. But I, I didn't have the financial security to back that up. Right. Like I was like, oh my gosh, if I do that, like, we're going to be like homeless. I I, I don't, I don't know. Well, then what happened is I went home and basically I call it my bathroom floor moment. I had a bathroom floor moment where I literally just panicked and like laid in the bathroom floor and sobbed because I couldn't imagine going back to that job day in and day out for the next 30 years, knowing they hated me, knowing I'd never done anything for anybody to hate me, but yet they still didn't like me. And I was going to be treated like that, you know, like that is what I kept. And up until this point, I had mentioned quitting several times to my husband and he would just kind of be like, Oh, but it's a good job. You know, because in the, like I say, in the county I live in, like, there's only about five places to work that are like right. good jobs. And so he would just kind of, it wasn't like he would tell me not to quit or anything. He would just kind of, but it's a good job. You know, how are you going to find something like that again? You know, with that pay right. or those benefits or whatever. And I think as bad as that day was, cause it was a very, very bad day. And as bad as it was, as taken aback as I was, as like blindsided as I was, it's what needed to happen for me to have that bathroom floor moment. And for him, my husband to be like, okay, I see it. I see that you right. can't stay here and be miserable, you know? Right. And, um, he literally was like, okay, we'll figure it out. And in my head, I think we had two different versions of what we'll figure it out meant. <laughs> and in my head, it was okay. I'm going to figure out a way to quit. 
And in his right. head, it was, okay, we're going to figure out a, like another job. Like uh, we'll figure out where you can apply for another job, but that may even take months. <laughs> no. Right, right. So two weeks later, I walked in and put in my notice, my two week notice. And so I was gone a month after I went back from maternity leave. Um, and essentially, I mean, we cut basically the way I afforded to do that was we cut everything. I, we didn't have TV. We cut oh, all wow. of our cell phone bills down to basic. We cut all of our... Uh, we sold a vehicle. We only had one car. Like we cut everything down. To the, that's how important it was for me. Yeah. I knew for my mental health that I could not be in a job where that's yeah. how people felt about me <laughs> and, wow. and knowing that I'm not that person, yeah. you know, and knowing that I'm not, I didn't deserve the treatment I was getting. I think that that really impacted it. But yeah, that's basically what happened. I, it, it was, it was an actual like, an event that caused it to happen. I don't think if that would have happened, it would have happened as quickly. I'm sure right. I would have eventually quit. I really think I would have, but <laughs> I don't know if it would have happened as quickly as it did. It, cause that event was very drastic, you know, yeah. and it was very much so a pivotal point where I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. Especially just going through what you went through. It's just, it's scary because it took mm -hmm. that much for you to just you know, finally call it like, I can't do this. Yeah. I got to take care of myself first. And not just that, like on top of you had to cut everything, like, you know what I mean? A certain standard of living TV. I can't imagine like you're getting yeah. just one vehicle between both you and your husband. Um, and, but just making that jump first. Um, I think that a lot of people like listening, like resonate with that, where either whatever they feel like they are meant for something more or mm -hmm. their boss, they just don't like their boss, but just, hearing your story, even for me, inspired me like, wow, like that's crazy where, you know, at some point you just got to look out for yourself first and you got to overcome that fear because yeah. it's like now seeing where you are today, um, it's actually really crazy where, you know, we all started where we all have to like cut back and go through that first few years of struggle. Yeah. Uh, well, but like, you know, as, as like the first few years, like you said, it was a struggle for you mm -hmm. and for anybody who's an entrepreneur, um, they really understand that struggle and it takes a lot of trial and error like during that initial first few years of like just struggling at any point, did you ever feel like you wanted to go get a job? Maybe not at the same company now hearing what you just shared with me, but like, <laughs> yeah. at, at like the other, maybe the other four major um, big um, businesses in, uh, in the town you're in and knowing that you didn't take that route, like what kept you going? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even, even when I was making like 30, 40,000 a year from my business, which was a lot for me. I was still like, it would just be easier. It would just be easier to go to work <laughs> yeah. and not, you know, I mean, you think about that, right? Like, cause it's, it's so much you're on all the time as an entrepreneur and your, your yeah. brain is always like, okay, well, what's that next thing? Or what's that, you know? Right. And absolutely. I mean, there was like every other day where I was like, maybe I should just get a job. Like, <laughs> I think, I think that would be better, you know? Um, but really what kept it going was, I realized through all of that, how much I loved flexibility, probably yeah. more than anything, um, right. it, you know, regardless of the money. Cause for me, that wasn't a thing in the first four, you know, four years, I, I wasn't making that much money. It wasn't like, I yeah. was like, Oh, I'm rolling in the dough and I can't give this up. <laughs> it was just like, but the flexibility, the flexibility right. to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym in the middle of the day. Or right. I'm going to, you know, do this thing. And I realized how much that, how important that was to me. And mm -hmm. I think some people, so are you familiar with the Enneagram? Yes, I am actually. Okay. So I'm an eight with a wing seven. 
and sevens really don't like their time constricted, you know, and that, that is me. And, and I realized somewhere along the journey that like, I just could not do that. I couldn't, I could not like all the money aside, I could not go back to the point where I had to be restricted by any bit of time. Like I I just couldn't do it. And so that's really what kept me going at first. Um, And then, you know, once the money started coming, once I actually started growing and making good money, you top out at a salary here of about 60,000 a year. That's, that's pretty well, like there aren't jobs that have more than that, unless you're like the CEO of one of these companies. Um, yeah. So like 60 K a year is the max I would make anywhere. And so once I hit that point, um, in my business, I was like, well, (laughs) I guess here we are, you know, because I can't, I can't make any better money. And Then along, along the same amount of time is when I kind of was like, but I don't have any, any ceiling. I don't have a ceiling. I don't like the income ceiling is not there when you're an entrepreneur. And that was really intriguing to me. So, you know, now it's not as hard to keep going because there's not another option. Like my business is my business and that's what we're doing. And (laughs) there's never going to be nothing else, you know, something else. Um, but even if it was, I, those two things would still be the things where I'm like, but I can literally like go take a nap after I get off this call if I want to. And that's yeah. powerful, you know? Um, so yeah, it was mostly the freedom at first and then it was the money basically. Well, for sure. And I think that um, especially it's important since uh, you're a mother of two mm-hmm. and just having the time to be around your kids. And it's not even just the fact that you don't have to pay a babysitter to take care of your kids, but just being able to be there and like help them grow and build that bond and relationship. And I think that's what a lot of like parents really mm-hmm. look for is just that, that, that ability to grow with the kids, because even if you were making enough money to hire a babysitter, it's not the same as just having the time, like you said, for yourself, but at the same time for family as well. Yeah. I would never give that up. I mean, I got to, yeah. I got to be with my kids, even if we were poor, cause we were um, <laughs> like, even if we were poor and had no TV, right. Um, I got to be with my kids and rate, like literally be the one, like teaching them their ABCs and raising them and, and, and awesome. being there for both of them until right. they started preschool. And so that I wouldn't give it up. You know, even if somebody was like, you could have made $200,000 every year during those like six years or whatever that would have been between the two of them but you would have had to put your kids in daycare or whatever. I wouldn't give it up. I was poor, but I got to spend time with my kids. And then as they got older, I was able to make more money because I had more freedom because they were in school pre COVID. (laughs) Pre COVID. (laughs) Yeah, no, but since we're actually on the the topic of family, like I'm really curious about um, how the first few years of struggle really affected your personal life. Because I know that as understanding as our loved ones can be, and they Mm -hmm. want to be as supportive as possible. Like did, like did, I know the first few years, I mean, reading about that, you barely broke $10,000 a year for like the first three to four years. Did that cause any friction in your personal life? And especially like, I think more importantly to, I really want to ask is how were you able to manage that feeling of uncertainty, especially knowing you had a family to take care of? Because yeah. I know that it's one thing to like not have luxuries in life, but it's another thing knowing that you have enough for to take care of your kids, right? As yeah, you're growing to up. like buy food and not starve <laughs> to death. Yeah, that would be great. I know. No, it it definitely caused it definitely caused friction. Um, because my husband and now I get it. 
I get it more now because there's been, there was once about a year ago that my husband just was like, I'm going to quit my job. I hate everything that's going on right now. It, he actually was able to like work something out and, and changed and right. every, he loves his job now, but he loved it. Then it was just a situation, but, right. um, that scared me, even though I know we'd be totally fine on my income, it, we could uphold the lifestyle we have. I it still scared me to be like the only provider for the family. Right. And so I know how he felt, but absolutely because I wasn't making any money. And so right. it was like, you know, so there was a lot of times where, for instance, he wasn't seeing the payoff of the work I was putting in. I wasn't either. Right. Nobody was. And so <laughs> I would do all this work and I'd make maybe $500 that month or whatever. Right. But yet in doing all this work, I also completely ignored the fact that my house looked like a disaster or that, you know, like I didn't fold the clothes or like I didn't right. get out of my pajamas that day or whatever. And that would cause friction at home, you know, with him. Cause he right. would be like, well, what did you do today? Because he wasn't able to see it monetarily. It was very hard yep. for him to see it, you know, in, yep. in the day to day. And, you know, I think, um, really being able to explain to him that, you know, I understood, I understood where right. he was coming from, but also that we couldn't put the kids in daycare because we'd spend more money than I would make. Cause we live in a poor area. Yep. And so things like that helped us get past that friction. But I also understand it more now because it's scary for one person to be the sole provider, especially when you're just skating by, you know, you're just barely right. putting food on the table. And yep. so, yeah, it definitely caused friction. Um, there were times when, I mean, my husband drove, we live in the country and he farms. And so he yep. has to have a truck and right. he drove trucks that were older than we are for like that whole time because his, it was, he had to sacrifice a vehicle for us to be able to right. afford one good vehicle that I needed to run the kids around in. Right. And so absolutely it caused friction. Um, and absolutely it's something that like we had to work past. And, yeah. and for me, it was really just understanding that it was like a, it was a small amount of time, but also right. you have to remember I was 24. I was very young. And so it's just like, ah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of like logic going on in there. Right. I tell people all the time and my husband gets so mad at me, but I'm always like, don't get married before you're 27. <laughs> because I feel like at 27, like that was the year my husband and I are the same age. That was the year where I felt like I understood life a little more and like right. that I was an adult and that like these things happen. And I feel like that's when my husband also kind of figured out what he wanted out of life. And so right. for us to be so young and married and going through all of this and me not working and, you know, it was a lot of friction, but it mostly came, it mostly came from the money. And yeah. this is a question I get a lot from women who will hear my story and they'll be like, mm -hmm. but how did you convince your husband to support you? Or right. at what point did he start supporting you or whatever that role is, right? It could be the other way around or whatever, but like, at what point did your significant other start supporting your dream when at first they're not supporting it because they're not, they don't think you're doing anything, you know? Right. And it's always, it always comes back to money. It always does. 
Right. I, and I tell people that like, start making money and they'll see, oh, <laughs> like she's actually doing something during, or he's actually doing something during the day or like whatever. It doesn't feel as contentious because it's like, okay, well, I understand that like the dishes didn't get washed today because she was on 14 client calls and I'm seeing the return on that. Right. Right. And so eventually like we, we just, you just kind of work through those things. And so like now we have a house cleaner because I can't keep up with my house and, (laughs) and especially, especially with the kids home all the time. And so you eventually get to the point where it all works itself out, but just knowing that like, there's always going to be friction in situations like that, always, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's like just fear or if it's the money or if it's a lifestyle change, there's always going to be something where somebody's, you know, a little scared for you or a little confused. Um, and, and, and in addition to my husband, my entire family, like, I mean, my family, like my mom and dad, yeah, his mom and dad, they all thought I was bananas because this was a good job that I was quitting, right? At a good company with good benefits and good pay. And it was. And so I can see how I looked crazy, you know? (laughs) And so, but, so it caused some tension between our families as well, because they were just terrified for us, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I think, I think sometimes when you're not broke, when you start your business, (laughs) it's a little different. (laughs) That might help. (laughs) Yeah. But for me, that just wasn't the case. But also that was the flame that kept my butt going, right? It was like, I can't, I can't take my foot off the pedal because if I do, we literally can't buy groceries or we can't put gas in the car or, you know, whatever. And eventually it became, we can't pay for the car or we can't do this or whatever. And so I think being poor and completely broke and completely like, you know, needing my money and all of that was massively beneficial to my business because it helped yeah. me stay motivated. No, for sure. I think that's really important because um, it's something that I've been learning is just why do people who bootstrap their business, who start, who have to self-fund, like they end up building the most, the most successful business because like you said, it lights a fire like under ah. your butt. Right. And yeah. I think like with, with the whole point with just the family is like, there, like, I do agree. There is, there's always going to be friction. It's just like, how are you going to communicate that? And mm-hmm. how can you help them see your vision? And I think that yeah. is the most important part. And if their support, like, I mean, if they're, they truly love who you are right. and, and love you for doing what you love to do, then yeah. they'll be supportive, but you just have to do your part to communicate um, what's going on because they might not always understand. Yeah. And my husband was never not supportive. He was always very like, And I explain this a lot when I'm talking to people because he always was like, oh yeah, of course you're great at what you do. And you're like, I'm glad you're doing that. But then a bill would come that we couldn't pay for. And it would be like, (laughs) well, if you had a job, (laughs) Um, you know, so, so it was, it it was just a thing. And you're right. Like learning how to communicate and not being 24 and brand new married and have an infant would probably help everybody's situation. Right. Yeah, of course. I, that's, that's so crazy. But like, I know that you were struggling pretty much up until uh, you started creating content. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I really want um, you to kind of explain to our listeners that like, after struggling the first five years of business, what really prompted you to create content through podcasting and YouTube? Because as now I'm learning, as you know, content creation is a long-term game. You're not going to yeah. see monetary benefits right off the bat. 
And so, but, and how long did it actually take you um, to start seeing like your audience grow to a certain yeah. point where uh, you actually felt like you were helping people? Yeah. So for me, it, it is, it is really funny to say like, my business made no money for five years. And then just all of yeah. a sudden, um, <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> and what happened was it was a mindset shift for me. I had right. always seen my business as a way to make a little money. Like that was what I saw my business as. Like, I, I just got to do this to make a little money. I got to do this cause to, to put my kid in soccer or I've got to right. do this to like, that was how I'd always viewed my business. And so it basically went from a hobby to an actual business. Like something flipped in my brain to make me go, oh. And honestly, right. what it was, was podcasts. I say this right. all the time. I have to really credit the podcast world for this because even back in 2015, when they weren't as saturated as they are now, um, I randomly was listening to like a blogger's podcast, which was not at all business related, like nothing. But right. you know how it'll show you at the bottom, like, if you like this, you'll like these or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Somehow I clicked on some and like fumbled into business podcast. And it was what it really was for me was hearing someone who had a web design company. Um, so I don't know. Have you ever heard of the podcast Being Boss? Yes, I've heard of it. Okay. Yes. Kathleen Shannon and Emily Thompson. They're great ladies. And that right. was one of the first ones that I stumbled on. And what happened was Emily is Southern like me. She had actually lived in my town, which is just, oh, wow. and her, her husband went or her, her partner had went to the college that's in the town over that I actually went to as well. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really expensive to live over there because it's college town. So they yeah. lived over here. And so that was surprising, but to hear someone who was Southern then who had lived in my teeny town, who also had a web design company. It was like one of those like parallel moments. Like we were living parallel lives <laughs> who would literally sit there and talk about how, you know, she made a hundred thousand dollars one year or whatever. And right. I was like, okay, well she has a kid. Like there were so many parallels and I was like, I can do this. And I think there was yeah. just like some kind of like literal shift in my brain that was like, holy crap, like this can be more than what I have let it be for the last four or five years. And so essentially what happened was I kind of like dove that with, that was it. Like I, I just had this shift and I was like, okay, I'm figuring this out. And I was diving down podcasts, getting in Facebook groups, just really like getting immer like immersing my immersing, emerging. Yeah. Immersing. I think there yeah. we go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it didn't sound right when it came out. Right. Like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Um, in, in this world. Right. And so I was like, really like in it. And from that, I realized, you know, there was the world of podcasting. There was the world of YouTubing. There was the world of blogging. And I had been blogging pretty consistently up until that point. It just kind of depended on what I want. It wasn't strategically. It was just kind of like, Hey, I'm going to blog about my breakfast or, you know, whatever. And so I took the skills I like learned and started applying it to my business. In 2015, I started a co-hosted podcast. It was called All okay. Up In Your Lady Business, which is always- I love fun. it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> uh, so I co-hosted it with uh, a friend of mine. Her name's Jacqueline yeah. Malone. She now has the Go-To Gal podcast because we split up right. in 2018. Um, okay. Nothing problematic. We just wanted our own podcasts. Yeah. But I started this joint podcast in 2015. I had no audience, none. Like that was, right. I was starting this audience or this podcast with zero people in my audience. Wow. That's when I launched that first course. I like in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to launch a podcast and I'm going to be famous like the next day. 
you know? And so that's what happened. And I was like, oh, well, I can launch a course because I'm going to be famous. So why would I not? That's not how it works, guys. But you know, (laughs) whatever. Um, So I started creating this podcast, co-hosting it. We, We really got to the point where it was really helping us grow our audiences. And then it was the next year that I started on YouTube. Um, and that was again, kind of by accident. I ba- we basically right. interviewed someone on the podcast who was like, Hey, YouTube videos are really good for the SEO on your blog posts. So I was like, okay, I can do that. And, um, I did it. And then my channel was growing without me really having to, or like without me realizing it kind of oh, thing. Wow. Not by much. I mean, I had like two, 300 subscribers, but that was two or 300 subscribers that I didn't know I had. Like I went in and I was like, Oh, where did these people come from? And I kind of saw the benefit in it. And so I started pouring more into that piece of content, but yeah, content, as far as when did I start seeing the payoff? Um, really within about six months of starting that first podcast, we did such a, a good job. I think, I think one of the things we did really good was that we, we went like balls to the wall with interviewing people, trying to get sponsors, like making connections, just, you know, really doing the work, doing the footwork. Um, and that really paid off. And so within about six months of starting that podcast was when I launched that second course that actually sold something. Um, and I had started growing my email list. I think I had like 500 subscribers on my email list at that point. Um, which from nothing is yeah, great, exactly. you know? No, it's awesome. And yeah, so essentially it may be about six months, probably it took me to really start to see the content pay off, but it pays off in different ways for different platforms. And so even years later, like I literally see a dollar amount payoff directly from YouTube, right? Right, right. But also I see affiliate payoff. Also yep. I see people buying my courses payoff. Also I see it benefiting my other social medias also like, so now it's very different, but, um, the payoff came about six months later initially, but that was really with me putting in a lot of work. Like I was, I was balls to the wall at that point. Sure. And I think like, I, I agree with you, even like I started this podcast only a few months ago and just having, I think even as a platform, just to have, have a platform to network with other entrepreneurs other professionals it, it's it's amazing and this is i'm also doing a summit and the summit plus the podcast has really introduced me to a lot of people that including you and like that i would have never had a chance to speak with but like a lot of like a lot of entrepreneurs understand the power of publishing and mm-hmm. podcasting and just kind of putting yourself out there so new audiences can get to know you and i i think that growing it that way is is super inspiring super amazing but it's it's just you, you got to put that time in right and it really depends the more episodes you're willing to put out the more you're willing to reach out for interviews the faster you're going to grow the faster people find you that way yeah no i agree but, yeah so but i do know that you you said you from 2016 you pretty much doubled or tripled your income every single year mm-hmm. was that massive growth just from content creation um, do you have actually any tips for um, some of our listeners who might be struggling to grow their business through content creation and tips for me as well as I'm still learning this whole new game? Yeah, a lot of it definitely was from content creation, just getting my name out there, you know, having people who actually like, we think that we're just going to build this business and then people are going to come, but like, actually people have to know who we are, <laughs> you know, and people yeah. have to know about us. And so through the content creation, I would then get people who would be like, oh, I like her or whatever, you know. But more than that, I would say more than anything I've ever done in business, and this is like the tip I will always give, is relationships. Always. 
always right. from hands down from the beginning. If I didn't put the time into, you know, back in the day, you know, pre-COVID going to conferences and actually meeting people and becoming friends with people and not in an inauthentic way, just like literally meeting people and and wanting to know more about them. And and that snowballs, you know, in some way or another, most opportunities I've had where I have like big opportunities in some way, or I speak on a stage or whatever, all came from a relationship I built somewhere. And so the content is a good business card, you know, yeah. in those situations. Cause it's like, I have a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube. That's kind of impressive, you know? <laughs> and I know that I'm not, you know, yeah. and that can possibly help me build a relationship or that could possibly yeah. help me do this. In addition to the fact that it's literally a hundred thousand people who might want to buy my things or a right. hundred thousand people who might want to get on my email list. But I mean, the content is great and absolutely, and I would never change it. And I will do content until the day I die. I love it. Um, Or I hope I do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, in addition to that, it's really building those relationships, you know, getting in the rooms that you want to be in, getting in the rooms with people you want to know. And people don't talk about it. I think people don't talk about it because it feels like a sleazy tactic, but it's not right. like you actually go and build good relationships. And, and I never think that I'm going to get something out of that, Yeah, that's but almost point. always I do. Right. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's like, it's like, Oh, it's just a good friend of mine. You know, it just so happens that they randomly run a conference. <laughs> like it's, you know, it, it's, that's never how it starts out. I always yeah. like literally just seek to build relationships with interesting people. And then from there, that leads into opportunity and opportunity leads into money and success. And that's really how it comes around full circle. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the focus of should be building authentic relationships, be yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And um, as long as you're focusing on the right things, you know, build those relationships with other professionals, uh, other entrepreneurs, and especially focusing on the content creation where you're providing value. So then- that, that way you build your authority, you build your, the trust with the people you're trying to speak to. So when you do have a product that can help you, they can trust you that you have their best interest in mind and you're not just trying to quickly sell them something. And yeah. a lot of people just miss that. And I think that's super great. Um, so there's a couple more questions I want to wrap up this interview, but before I get to it, what's the best platform um, our audience, our listeners can follow you on, Jessica? Instagram is my most direct platform. You can, we can chat in the DMS all day long on Instagram and I'm literally there all the time. Um, and that is just my name, Jessica Stansberry. So it's Instagram.com forward slash Jessica Stansberry. And I'll make sure to include, um, a link to all your social media profiles in the episode notes. Uh, yeah, be sure to follow her. I follow her and she has the craziest content. I <laughs> just yesterday, I heard her story about, um, how, um, a cow gave birth on her car and dude that i that's where the whole thing was amazing <laughs> a cow, yeah it, that's always a good party trick like a cow gave birth on my car and people are like i'm sorry <laughs> say that one again <laughs> that's that's a hook i'm telling you i sat there yes. and i was like a bedtime story for me yes that is saved in a highlight bubble by the way for anybody who wants to watch it called farm life i saved it because i knew i would i, I would want to do that <laughs> yeah it, no it's it's crazy so make sure you follow her she gives tips and tricks and on top of it very interesting stories from time to time yeah. <laughs> so, so the last couple of questions I have for you is um, the first one is if you were to do everything again, what mm-hmm. would you do the same and what would you do differently? And what word of advice would you give someone who's like just on the fence about making that leap of faith and that jump to starting their own business? 
Yeah. So the same, I, I I don't think I would change anything about how I quit corporate and I was broke. Like I really don't. I think that was such a fire under my high end to get, get going, you know? Um, but I do wish I would have like figured out that I could actually have a business that made more than $10,000 a year, a lot earlier. I wish I would have had that mindset shift, you know, earlier like that. Cause that was such a big deal for me. That mindset where I was just like, Oh, (laughs) Um, it was such a big deal. And so I wish I would have had that earlier, but also I'm a big believer in, you know, timing and, and, and things that are meant to happen, happen. And so I guess that happened when I was supposed to have it happen. Um, but as far as advice, you know, consistency always wins in business. And if you, you may not be the best person, you may not be the biggest expert in this thing. You may not be, you know, have the best camera, have the best podcast mic, have the best background, like whatever, right? You may not even have the best iPhone, right? Yeah. But if you can be consistent, you're going to stand out above the people who even have triple the amount of skill you have. Right. And, you know, there, it goes both ways, right? Like people will say, you know, there are people who have half your talent, taking up, you know, most of the business in this arena, trying to motivate people to actually like go do their thing. But it goes the other way too. Like you don't have to be the most qualified. You don't have to be the, the biggest expert in the thing. You don't have to, you know, have the absolute best product. I mean, obviously we should be always striving to be better and to have the best we possibly can. And, and absolutely that's important, but you'll be consistent. If you'll show up, if you will show up and, and, and make noise, I always say, stand up and make noise. If you will be the one making the noise and getting your face out there and getting your business name out there, you will win over that person. Who's not doing that, who might even be way smarter than you or whatever. Yeah, no consistency is definitely key. Like I think, um, now I'm up to 31 episodes for my podcast. I remember the first, like dozen i was like oh my goodness how do you talk like i was yes. monologuing because this is like the first interview because i've been busy with the summit interview so this the podcast interviewing has been on hold but like i remember the first bit and i was trying to push myself too because like the hardest part is when you're talking yourself in a podcast and i remember struggling so hard but like as every week i it was hard i'm like oh do i have to do it again but like as i recorded <laughs> every single weekend i could feel myself feeling more confident and like leading up to even this interview like i'm much more confident and like speaking my thoughts and at the same time it's like this podcast has really helped me kind of figure out what I stood for mm-hmm. and like what I and, and it's a lot of a self-discovery process I'm not sure about you totally. but like for me, <laughs> it was a huge discovery process for me but yeah like you said like interviewing I was when when I started interviewing for either the podcast or the summit and um, the beginning of this year, I was terrified. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, what if I trip up? What if I do this and that? But as you get better, you, you that's where you grow and learn and nobody starts off like perfect. And even never. though, and, exactly. And yeah, like perfection is always, is, is never reachable because you just keep improving. And as you're willing to continue to push yourself out of your comfort zone, like that's where, um, you're going to win. Yeah. I never go back and watch my old YouTube videos because they are awful, but also I started, you know, yeah, exactly. and that's like, there's credit in just starting and just doing and, and not getting caught up in that detail, you know, and, and consistency being so, I mean, it's just so important. It, it really is. And, you know, not only is the viewer going to see that as important or the listener or whatever, like whatever that person is, yeah. Yeah. but the platform 
is going to see that yeah. as important. You know, podcasting yeah. platforms want you to be consistent. YouTube wants yeah. you to be consistent. Google wants you to be consistent. And so exactly. if you're putting content on the internet and you're consistent, you'll get there. I promise. There you go. Perfect. So I want to wrap off this interview um, by asking um, this one question because the name of this show is Plan to Fail. Mm-hmm. So I must ask you, what is your biggest failure that you had to overcome when building your business? What did you learn from that experience and how did that one experience get you to where you are today? Oh my goodness. I would say <laughs> my, yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, Cause I feel like there's a lot of failure, you know, yeah. I've had a lot of failure in my business for sure. But the and, most memorable one, I guess. Yeah. I, I would say that the biggest like thing that I would say I failed at most or hardest, I guess would be the yeah. word was following bad advice in the beginning right? or following the wrong people. Um, right. You know, that was something that I, I think, I think that like massively contributed to my slow growth in the beginning because I was right. following people I, or the advice of people I shouldn't have been. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't seeking advice from people who had been in my shoes. I was seeking advice from people who hadn't been there before, you know? Yeah. And so following bad advice has always been a massive fail in my business. I've done it several times, um, you know, and, and, and choosing the wrong people to look up to or choosing the wrong people to listen to is always a fail. And in that first little bit, it was a massive fail. I had a mentor quote unquote that I looked up to who ended up not knowing at all what they were doing. And so it ended up hurting me because I was like literally following in their footsteps and it didn't, it didn't get me anywhere. And so I think that would be the biggest fail because it's the one I continuously did for a really long time because it would be like I would follow a new person and then they didn't know what they were doing and then I would follow this person. And so getting advice from people who haven't, you know, that Brene Brown quote, one of my kids just sneezed. Sorry. Oh, bless you. Stories. <laughs> um, That's cute. That, yeah, I don't know where they are, but that <laughs> Brene Brown quote where she's like, I, if you're not also in the arena getting your ass kicked, I don't want your advice. Yeah. Like it's, that, you know, I was taking advice from people who didn't, who literally had never done the things I wanted to do. So I'd say that. And then that was probably the biggest thing I learned was to really, you know, understand and, and vet people who you're taking advice from and understand where they've been and what they've done and how they've done it and, and how you can follow after them in some way. Um, because there's tons of people who have, and, and sometimes our bad advice really trips us up. Like this person in the very beginning of my business was very, um, like I'm a very community over competition person now. They right. like, I, I am, I will collaborate all day long. I don't care if you, we sell the same course. I don't like, it doesn't matter. I am a big community over competition person. I am here yeah. for community. But That's back huge. in those days, this person that I looked up to was very anti competition and would constantly like be mean to her competition or to someone coming up in the industry, you know, whatever. And so I just thought that's like what you were, I guess, you know, I mean, I don't think I consciously thought that's what you were supposed to do. It's just that I was seeing her doing it and I looked up to her and so blah, blah, blah. And that was massive for me because I didn't build the relationships I could have been building in the beginning, you know? And so I think just really understanding that, you know, we've got to pick the people we look up to with like a good, 
you know, vetting system, I guess. <laughs> no, that's, that's super important. That's something I actually really relate to too, because before I kind of jumped onto the online space, podcasting and summit and all, like I was in finance and I had my mentors yeah. when I was in finance and just the way of thinking, it's so detrimental because I remember after leaving finance, I had to unlearn all the different ways that like I like that they taught me. And that sometimes that's super, super important because if you set your foundations the wrong way, like that can lead to a lot of pain and a lot of undoing of habits. Yeah. And that's hard. Like I'll be the first to admit, <laughs> yeah. like there's a lot of things in finance, the way of thinking, you know what I mean? Like, cause in finance is very money-minded, very profit driven. And that's why I had to leave. So when I, you know, when I kind of left and just learning how to create content and provide value, there's so much, so many things I had to unlearn and dude, yes. it was a tough process, but yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I really resonated. Yes, with that. I hope so. Yeah. Cause it's, it's something I didn't realize was a problem till later, you know, and, yeah. and like you, like you didn't realize the things you were learning in yeah. finance were like a problem for you in a later point of your life, but then they are. And so yeah. you're right. It is a lot of unlearning and, and that foundation has to be strong or your business won't grow you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, like Jessica, I really want to thank you for taking the time and being on the show. Like your story has honestly really inspired me to keep pushing despite whatever challenges are ahead of me. And I'm sure that our listeners either would, would be inspired by your story, either if they're trying to take that leap of faith and make that jump, or maybe they're already in business and they can use your story to, to inspire them to keep pushing that. Like it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard, but like, if you're willing to stay consistent and keep pushing hard, you will see success at some point sooner or later. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. So to everyone who's listening, if you found value in what Jessica had to share today, be sure to check out her free digital product blueprint that will give you her <laughs> personal five-step framework to creating your first or next digital product. And I'll make sure to include a link to that in the episode notes below. Uh, Jessica, I really want to thank you one more time for taking the time and really sharing your story and putting yourself out there for our listeners to learn from you. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plan to Fail. If you're thinking of someone who needs to hear this message, spread the word by rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, what are the first steps to building a solid foundation for success? My advice is to start by redefining your relationship with failure, learn how to embrace it by understanding its importance in both your personal and professional life. To help you get started, I wanted to give you a free copy of my ebook, Failing Forward. This book will give you the tips and tricks needed to help you redefine what failure means in your life and provide the clarity you need to achieve success. Go and download your free copy at planofail.net. Remember, you can achieve the life you've always wanted. Thank you so much for being part of this community. And until next time, stay hungry.